You're listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to have you. Welcome to episode 117. This is episode 117. Can you believe it? It's amazing. Can you believe it? Oh, no, I'm excited. I I, I didn't know we'd be still here. <laughs> I didn't know we'd do 116 more than the first one. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so crazy. Okay, so here we go. I did a little Q&A on our Instagram, and I'm going to ask you some questions. Is that cool? All right, let's go. What does it look like to be an early adopter? You fail a lot. You fail a lot. Yeah, if you're not failing a lot, you're not an early adopter, you're a late adopter. Okay, but go even deeper on that one. The difference between an innovator and an early adopter is an innovator thinks of the new idea. The early adopter sees it before it's proven. Before it's mainstream. Yeah, before even before it's way before mainstream, watched all unproven. So it's almost subculture. Yeah, it is. Okay. And uh, all, all the evidence and facts probably go against it. Like, what is an NFT? You know, what? And, and so an early adopter sees a new innovation, sees a new idea, and invests in it or gets involved in it or risks in it before the facts and the data support it. Okay. Traits in people you admire. I really admire kindness. And it's one of the highest traits that I have value for. Um, I also admire curiosity. Yeah, people who are always curious and, and learning. Um, and I guess, you know, truthfully, I really admire a sense of humor. I like, I really admire funny people. <laughs> I know, right? I enjoy, okay, so the things I admire in people, loyalty and probably, uh, and probably comedy. Yeah. If I can't laugh and have fun, <laughs> like what is the point of doing anything together? Yeah. Um, Okay, here we go. Do you think it was wrong of passion to fill the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in the middle of a pandemic? You know, I actually didn't even know that they were meeting. But you know that they do like every yeah. every year. Did they do it last year? Online. Online only. Okay. Well, and this year they had how many people? I don't know, a lot. Around 60,000, I think. 60,000? Yeah. Congratulations, Louis Giglio and Passion. Yeah, I'm like, that's an easy answer. Yeah. <laughs> Why should we have the Atlanta Falcons, who are terrible, filling a stadium and yes. not passion when they're having amazing worship and pointing to Jesus. Yeah. No, nah, I think <laughs> we're good. Um, crypto and NFTs. I'm really fascinated by cryptocurrency and NFTs. And I think it's the future. Um, I do. I do. We got to learn more about it, I think. Yeah, yeah. We're I, kind of in the middle of us. We're like doing a lot of research right now. I'm a novice. I'm not an expert. I don't know enough to um, tell you what to do. Uh, but if you ask me, does it look like the future going, the future tends to look like this. Yeah. This is what the future looks like before it's the future. Yeah. <laughs> so I won't be surprised if it becomes the future. How to work in creative environments with people that are controlling slash prideful. Well, you can call a person prideful if they don't like your ideas. Yeah, my thing would be have better ideas. Yeah, and one, if you actually think the people you're working for are controlling and prideful, you need to go get another job. Because what? you're not the right person to work for them. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Also, I'm really controlling and prideful all the time. <laughs> and it's not fun working for me in those moments, you know? And when it's seasons, you have to really, you have to look back and be really grateful for the people who stuck through it. Yeah. And they're like, But they you're did. also incredibly empowering. I think so. Yeah. Like to the point where I don't even want to do most of the things. Yeah. I just want them to do it and like have fun with it. I want to hear Erwin talk about parenting. Oh, I'd love to talk about parenting. Let's see how it goes first. <laughs> no, give, if you could give three tips to parenting, what would you give? Um, what would you say? Man, my, my three tips would be um, make sure you have time with your kids. But uh, if you have more than one kid, don't spend time with all your kids at the same time. Spend time with each kid separately alone so that they feel special and unique. Interesting. And the second thing is um, listen a lot to you, your kids and what they're interested in. Don't 
expect them to be interested in what you're interested, be interested in what they're interested in. And then three, um, don't always treat them like they're kids. Like treat them like your friends. Treat them like they're a part of your life. And um, because if you like each other, the relationship will last all the way through adulthood. Bro, I need to know how Erwin deals with anger. On the outside, he always seems so calm. <laughs> how do you manage your anger? Well, you've known me all your life. How many times have you seen me angry? Very few, but most of the times are at me. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. usually not when I'm doing something wrong. It's usually just after I've been a jerk. <laughs> you don't act, I don't think you actually, you kind of let me make my own decisions and figure it out, but then you're just, you just will get mad if I'm being mean. Mm -hmm. That's the only time you've ever been angry with me, but how do you deal with your anger? Because there's other stuff that, yeah. there's other stuff that we've dealt with. How do you, like, I, I've, I've asked, like, I've, I've wondered this. Mm -hmm. We dealt with some really tough stuff in the summer. And how do you manage keeping your anxiety down? Because mm -hmm. I, I am like, I'm, you know, I'm physically going through yeah. a repercussion of yeah. my anxiety. Yeah. So how do you, how Well, do let you me stay with the answer, uh, let, uh, with the question. Let me stay with the question. How on do you anger. deal with anger? Yeah. By the way, uh, I love this question too. I'm actually quite complimented that you noticed that I have um a lot of control over um, my emotions and anger. But when I was young, I had a, um, a dangerous temper. Yeah. I, I was a kid that would punch a wall and uh, yeah. I, I pulled a knife on my brother when I was in elementary school because I was tired of him beating me up. Okay, Jay-Z. Yeah, I was, uh, so I was, I was a person, I, 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 I would bottle it up and then I would explode. Bottle it up and then explode. Because I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to be a kind person. And then eventually it would just blow up on me. And what I realized was that um, whenever I was angry, I was, I was feeling powerless. And, I, and it was actually making me weaker. Yeah. And so I would say by the time I made it, I, I made it out of my teens with complete control over my temper. Okay, but how do you do it? Uh, I began by, um, one, never giving myself permission to react. But okay. only acting. Okay. So I never say I, I would never allow myself to say I don't know what got into me, and so I have a uh, I have a strong sense of inner peace, and I I have a a I guess an idea of a person that I've chosen to become. Mm -hmm. The moment you allow someone to make you angry, they have power of your life. Yeah. And so a huge part for me is I just refuse to let anyone else have power of my life. I refuse to let anyone else have so much power that they create anger in me or let me respond to it. So a couple of practical things. Before I had control, if I felt angry, I would walk away quietly. I wouldn't make a scene of it. I would just say, hey, you know, I just need a few minutes. And I would, um, and I like the phrase, I'm not, I'm not capable of giving you my best me right now. So I'm just going to take a, a, a little time out. Yeah. And, uh, and so I try to always focus on in whatever situation I'm, I'm in, whatever conversation I'm in, whatever situation I find myself in, to only be in that room if I can bring the best version of myself. If not, I give myself permission uh, to find a gracious exit, not an angry exit, not I walk away and won't have the conversation or, you, you know, um, right. but uh, a gracious exit where I give myself time to recalibrate and then I go back in the room under control. So you have to have mastery over your emotions and I've taken a lifetime to make sure that uh, I do. So it's not what you see, it really is who I am. I do not let anger take control over my life. Okay, how to live with your circumstances without being slave to them, enslaved to them. 
Well, create your circumstances. I mean, a huge part of that is if you're, quote, living inside a circumstance, it means other people are creating your life. And a huge part of it is to have enough courage and determination and intention to create your circumstances and have more control over the life you're creating so that you're not a victim to it or you're not, you're not surrendering to it, you're creating it. I resonate with this question. <laughs> No, like how much yeah. of it do you, how much of it do you have to just accept and go, okay, like I'm, you know, sometimes like working with family isn't fun. Mm-hmm. So I have to go, okay, am I, am I a victim to this situation? Am I enslaved by it? Am I trapped here? Or is it my choice to be here? And if it's my choice to be here, how do I bring my best self to the situation? Yeah. How do I play well with others? How do I understand that um, not everyone's going to see the things the same way as me mm-hmm. and realizing my, my role in the situation, mm-hmm. you know, also don't like, I don't, I dream about things beyond this moment. Mm-hmm. So what happens if this isn't everything? Yeah. I'll, what do I want to do next? Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 but live this dream until the dream's over, mm-hmm. you know, and then keep, keep building and not being fickle, but being committed. Yeah. You know, God, I don't think God, I think sometimes we go like, this is my forever calling. And I'm like, I don't know if that's how God works. Because yeah. his idea of forever is very different than ours. Um, what is the relationship between skill and talent? Um, I mean, there is a relationship, but they're not the same thing. It's like oil and vinegar. They work great together, but they're also separate things. And so you, um, you have no control over your talent. That's what you're, in a sense, born with. It's your genetic makeup. It's your uh, IQ. It's um, your physicality. It, it's your, um, you know, it, it's the inherent um, gifting that you have. Skills are something you develop. Skills okay. come out of discipline. They come out of hard work. They come out of intention. They come out of deliberate practice. Yeah. And so when you bring high skill development to high talent, that's when you have an extraordinary outcome. Would love to hear about your process of you writing books. I think I don't want to hear that. I would like to hear how you find your topic. Like, how do you mm. know that something is topic worthy? You That's know? a really interesting question. I think that um, it's a combination of paying attention to the needs of the people around me. Okay. And I and I begin looking, I, I seeing recurring patterns in people's lives. Of okay. Maybe of challenges that people face or challenges that they don't um, handle well. Okay. And and so, um, like when I wrote Chasing Daylight, a huge part of it was mindset issues of uh, people always saying, oh, you know, if God wants it to happen, it will happen, or mm-hmm. um, a very deterministic language. And I realized though Christians have a very bad relationship understanding how to create the future. And so I wrote a book, really, that's a process on how to see choices as the most spiritual activity in your life. Okay. So that was answering a very specific question. Like uprising, I was answering the question, how do I change? And so I wanted to deal with the human side of divine change. Yeah. Because we say, oh, you know, God changes you, Jesus yeah. changes you. But how come some people, Jesus changes fast, and some people, Jesus changes slow. Mm. Some people, Jesus changes a lot, and some people, it seems like Jesus changes very little. Mm. And so what we're not addressing is the human side of divine change. And so I wrote the book like that. So I look at a, a problem that I'm trying to solve, and, and I write the book to create a process to help a person solve that problem in their life. Then I think something you've said uh, before in the past that mm-hmm. I was really resonated with me. When you write messages, when you write books, mm-hmm. you're not writing books for, you know, a generation. You're writing yeah. books for one person. Yeah, that's right. And, or, and, and that obviously means lots of people because mm-hmm. lots of people are having the same problems, but you're writing it 
you really pick a person, you go, okay, I'm I do. a book for that person. My like, book this is, is very specific. I can guide this person yeah. through life or through a process or through something they're going through. Mm -hmm. um, the metaverse, what will it mean for our generation? Will people become less social? I think the way I'd ask this would be more, what do you think about the metaverse? What will it mean for not just our generation, but for society? And will people become less social? People have already become less social. So that's already happened. How so? Um, they were quarantined for a year and a half. Right. And in almost complete isolation as a culture. And now people are reticent to come back and connect with people. Uh, we have massive, massive um, uh, loneliness, isolation, um, disconnection in our culture. So I think that's already happened. And the metaverse has the potential of creating the, um, the matrix where people feel like they're connected. They feel like they're alive. They feel like they're doing something. They feel like they're traveling. They feel like they're becoming, but they're actually not. It's only their avatar that is experiencing life. I do think... <sighs> you can disagree. It's not that I disagree. I think it's only like a, it's a, it's a perspective shift because mm -hmm. I, I think you can find joy mm -hmm. with digitally connect, connecting with other people. Yes. Right. We already text. It's almost text is, text will become archaic mm -hmm. when I can just click something on and access you face to face, our avatar, our, our avatars talking to each other right. and experiencing something and playing a game together, watching a movie together or traveling to Egypt together or doing See, and I think an assortment wonderful. of other things, right? Yeah, I know. I think it's incredible. But I, I actually think it'll be an extension of who you really are in, in the end. At first, it'll, it'll be a facade of who you are. People will create almost another personality in the metaverse. Right. But I think eventually um, that will not sustain and you, it'll be an extension of who you are. If you're a person who really cares about people, you're going to have massive connection across the world. Right. If you're a person who's really isolated and depressed, you're going to find yourself incredibly alone in that metaverse and only connecting when you're someone that you're not and feeling this huge isolation that no one ever knows you for who you are. And so what I would say is the metaverse is going to become whatever you really are. I heard a clip of Elon. I watched this clip of Elon talking. He was asked, uh, is is uh, is the idea or the foundation for this world being a simulation um, there? Like, is it strong enough? And he talked about how he's like, well, we are building a simulation with the metaverse. And so one could say that we are returning back to what we already are. Mm -hmm. by, by our natural instinct was to develop over thousands of years, or he said billions of years, mm -hmm. to then create a simulation because we are already in a simulation. And that's how our simulation is folding on top of each other. And I find that really interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't believe we're in a simulation, but I do think we would we even know if we were? You see, and I think that from a distance that Elon's probably a person that is not um, highly skilled at deep interpersonal relationships. Right. And so he wouldn't understand what is being lost in the simulation. See, right. I think people who are deeply connected relationally, emotionally to other human beings, right. um, they'll bring something else into that world. No, 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 I'm but saying- they won't replace no, it. No, the question is, sorry, I think I, I yeah. posed the question wrong. Do you think we're in a simulation now? Have you heard this? This is yeah, the ideology. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
Do you think we're in a okay. situation now? All right. Because his grounds, his foundation for the, the, the argument is that it if it's our natural human instinct to drive human society to mm-hmm. like spend more time yeah. in a simulation, that we are actually in a simulation naturally. You know, going you know who simulation. believes that completely? Who? John Gordon. No. For years. We've really? Had, yeah. That's interesting because I would say, I would, I would like kind of think he'd be more of a faith guy. He is faith, but he does believe we're living in a in a, simula- in a simulation. Really? Yeah, and that's a virtual reality, and that we're inside of. But an would we idea. know if we are? That's the question I, I have. Well, are we? And would we know if we are? <laughs> um, you don't want to talk about this? No, no, it's not that. I think that um, it's redefining reality because you know, if the question is, are we in a non-reality? The question is, the answer is no. We're in. A reality. No, the question is, are we in a simulation? That's, I didn't ask about non-reality or reality. But see, if the simulation means that we have no control over our thoughts or actions, but they're actually being dictated by an outside force, then my answer is no. We're not well, in a simulation. That's more along the lines of predeterminism, right? Like, could we become uh, anomaly? Uh, could become. Again, could we become the anomaly code? Like a code that's regenerative, right. that could, is constantly like layering on top of each other. That could the code have consciousness? Yes. And so they are we the, co- the code of consciousness. If um, we are a simulation, we have jumped past the singularity, and we have consciousness, and that's what matters is that we actually have consciousness. So interesting. And uh, because it, you could actually, when you look at the universe being an in, uh, an inherent organism that's all interconnected. And and then if you believe in in God, and you you and you believe that the, the universe is an extension of the essence of God, and we're living in God, you know there there are a lot of ways of seeing that layering where you could say we're in a simulation. I just actually don't think that answers the most questions well for me. I actually think that God created this reality, and that whether we like it or not, we're living in the real world in an unreal way. It doesn't mean just because we're living in the real world that we're seeing it as it really is. A part of his argument, though, is like, as you see graphics become more human-like, right? you know, what's to say that we're not looking at something that is also graphics? Yeah, but it's, it's kind of a curious thing we think about how we put less and less value on humans creating life. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I mean, r- right now, culture would say that um, the embryo inside of a woman's womb is not life. That's what uh, basically our culture has concluded. Mm. It's actually Christians who hold like a different view that mm. says, no, what's inside of a, a woman's womb is life. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, what's, and the reason I bring this up is because it's almost as if we're moving away from the value of the life we create physically to saying no, our evolutionary future is in um, digital in this digital world, and I'm going. No, you see, that's how I know the difference. If we stop having babies, the the digital world will not exist because there will be no humans. I think right, right. I think something that's always very interesting to me is like this idea of anything that destroys um, empathy mm-hmm. steers us away from humanity. I love that. That's right. right. Like, yeah. Course. During COVID, when we were playing Call of Duty, I was I was I was angry if I died, but I wasn't sad if I died in the game. Right, so no, but what's more important is there was no loss of self. There was no loss of self, right? There was there was like a 
I still looked at it as a game. Something right. I was just trying the difference to right. is that is that in whenever you're in touch with reality, there is a loss of self or a gaining of self. Like There's an you, understanding of self. That's right. An awareness of self. Yeah, it's not disconnected. You know, Call of Duty, your character dies, you just hit the button and you start playing again. Right. And in this life, if you die, you die. Right. So here's and my other I, question. And then, so then where does God come resurrected? From? Where does God come from? That's my last question, and then and then I I think I'm done. But like, why is it that it feels? And I'm not laying a, a basis mm -hmm. for this idea of of we're in a simulation. I think that's an absolute farce, and I can't say absolute because I don't know. But what I do know is that there is right. If we if we're we're just talking about this as if faith is in the middle, and we're just talking about it, sure. right? There's not a disrespect. It's not a her heretical thinking. I don't sure. think, but maybe okay. it is. I don't know. Why is it that we can we have no consciousness or understanding of where God comes from? We 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 can get to where God exists, right? Mm -hmm. I think some of the most intelligent people in the world, and some of the, something that's unifying is that you don't have to necessarily be intelligent to understand that that we have a human longing to search for God, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's many gods in a lot of religions or if it's a singular God, something that is that is a, com a common denominator between all of hi history is that we've been searching for something beyond ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And not just beyond the stars, but beyond ourselves, beyond our understanding. Why is it that we stop when it comes to like what created God or what or 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 where did God come from? Well, right? I mean, I think it's a question people have been asking for centuries. Yeah, but how come it's like, it's like as if our brains cannot access this memory database that should exist, right? Mm-hmm. Why is it wiped from us? It would be such an easy solve. It's not an easy solve or it would have been solved. <laughs> no, I'm saying if God is all, okay, so if God is all powerful and omniscient and all, and all of the things, mm -hmm. why is it that he can't, why is it that he doesn't, if he can't, I believe he can, I'm saying, mm -hmm. why, why doesn't he create an existing understanding of his existence in the world? And, and then gives us a choice whether to believe in him or not. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that there are an infinite, possibility of numbers okay like you there is no end to numbers right and even though there's only nine of them once we had the zero we were able to count into infinity okay but zero changed everything in math zero becomes more fundamentally powerful than one or nine and one two nine but zero in its essence is nothing but it's everything See, I think that creation is one through nine and God is zero, where it's almost like he's nothing because you don't have to believe in him. Mm. You can exist and live your life without God in that sense. But he's everything because you can't actually exist and live life without him, even if you're unconscious of him. And I actually think that in science, in math, there are all these um, indicators indicators there there are these signs of the existence of, of the god. existence of god and so like, the the fact that the human mind could eventually comprehend zero and and it's it was always there but we couldn't see it that we have this binary code of just ones and zeros that works infinitely that that these these just these two numbers create an infinity of possibility and capacity. And, and I look at this and I go, this is why we can both 
have a, the concept of God and not be able to explain God because zero is both everything and nothing. Left to itself, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. And added to what exists, it becomes infinite. And I think that creation allows us to see the existence of God. It's in the context of what's created that we're able to see the infinite. So how can something that is nothing create something out of nothing? That's the whole point of it, though, is that zero isn't nothing. It's just, it's, not, it's, uh, it's, it's nothing in the context of our understanding except when it's added to the complexity of the whole. And so when I think of God, you know, when, think, when you think of God and being God being infinite and eternal and all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, does that even mean anything if there's nothing else? Right. Right, you know, because yeah. like he's all powerful, but nothing else exists. So, what does that mean? How is that? How how is even that power actualized or proven? He's all knowing, but if all if he's all there is, all he knows is himself, and and you know he's all present. But if he's all there is, then where where does his presence go infinitely? And it's it's almost as if God, in his infinite nature, had to create more, hmm. and. Um, it's, it's inherent in the nature of God. And then when you believe as, um, as I do because of the scriptures that God is love. And again, like there's always little cues. It's interesting that in, in tennis, zero is love. Mm-hmm. I mean, why? Like you have this interesting configuration that, um, that when you see love being the very essence of God, and then you go, oh, Love becomes proof of God. Mm-hmm. And then you look at billions of people living on this planet, generation after generation, culture across culture, language across language, economic status, intellectual, uh, educational status, and yet a defining characteristic of all human beings is that we all desperately need love. And I, and I mean, what is love except a zero? You can't prove love. But when it's absent, you feel it's, it's loss. Mm-hmm. And when it's presence, you know it's there. There's, there's no material manifestation that actually proves love exists except what love causes. And I think the same cause and effect of love is the same cause and effect of creator and creation. So why didn't God leave his existence in our understanding? Those are all the clues. No, but not. In our, but you have to come to understand how come he didn't leave it in our understanding, within what we already know to be to exist, right? I guess we don't, we are made aware that there is air. You don't, you're not born with this idea that there's air. Right. You're just born with the ability to breathe, mm-hmm. right? Or you're activated. I guess someone, you know, I don't know how the first babies of first men breathe, but now you they smack you and then you breathe, you know? <laughs> and then you cry and then you, you, you're engaged into the act of breathing. But why isn't there a more natural approach to understanding the existence of God? See, and maybe that's a part of human evolution because God's infinite. And so you're never going to know everything about God. You're never going to understand everything about God because God is infinite. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying just understanding his origin. Like, why does the Bible start in Genesis? Why does it start with the origin of God? Because God doesn't have an origin story. So, that, okay, so this is where <laughs> things break inside my brain. <laughs> God is the origin. So if God is the origin, he should be able to tell the story of himself.
Yes, but God has no beginning. You want God to tell the beginning of his story. There ha- and he doesn't have a beginning so of the story. Then, no, no, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I got to take a breath. I was listening to Jay Shetty. He said it all, it all, it all belongs in the breath. <laughs> I got to take a breath before I explode uh, out of out of just no not under, not not understanding. But here, here's my thing. Okay, so it, okay, I am not talking about the God of the Old Testament. I guess, I guess I'm just talking about just God, right? Mm-hmm. Just because I think this is interesting, right? I think, I think above all religion, and this is, you have to take this with a grain of salt, all of you that wants to come for me on Battle Ready Instagram for this. But if one like uh, predicator or one indicator that I believe that there is a God is that so many men have created religions around this understanding of God, Mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, by no disrespect, I think there's a lot of religions that have so many gods. And to Mm -hmm. me, that is like Marvel comics of, ancient history right they have this we have this desire to create mythological beings that protect us and keep us safe and 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 are are used as like an excuse as to why bad things happen or why Mm -hmm. mischievous things happen or you know and we were just describing and giving physical manifestation of just things that happen in life right um i do also believe that they're all pointing towards something Yes. So you have this thing, uh, this this being, this this zero sum, right? This mm-hmm. zero of nothingness and something, right? Mm-hmm. This de- predeterminate. Um, if you put it above all things, there can that thing, if it is all knowing, the God thing, shouldn't it be able to describe itself? But he does. But shouldn't it be able to? give context or some understanding to its origin? Again, if God had an origin, he would surely give us the context to his origin. But, or, or I guess maybe this. I guess, the, see, I guess the chapter a, I'm missing. No, you, no, no. you have a first chapter, but God does not. Oh, of course. <laughs> and, uh, right. and, and I think this is where um, we want to make God like us rather than realize that God made us like him. And, uh, but if he made us like him, why mm-hmm. do we have an origin story and he doesn't? Because he made us and nothing made him. Look, whether, even if you do not believe in God. You're not helping. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, okay, I'm not okay, talking okay, about belief. Okay. Oh, no, no, see, no, I, no, no, let's see. I don't really, I don't think in terms of belief and disbelief. No, you're trying to figure out I, where God started. No, I'm trying to figure out as to why he didn't leave breadcrumbs for us to understand a bit more. Maybe he okay. did. Maybe but we no, are. No, but you see, I think I feel like you're eating the breadcrumbs and going, where are they? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no more bread for this guy. <laughs> no, no. Okay, stop. Stop for a minute, okay? Here are human beings, and we're on this planet. We have no story, no book, no narrative about God. In fact, let's say uh, as atheists, atheists, atheists would say there is no God. So somewhere in our trying to explain human existence, we decided there must be a God or gods. There must be something at a higher plane than us that, that created all of this. See, it's, it, it, what we don't realize is that if you take your hand and you put it into um, soft mold, you will leave fingerprints. So 
we, with our questions, even if we, quote, create the concept of God, see, to me, that's the fingerprint. That's the fingerprint that God put his fingers on us because we're going, something created us. There's more than us out there. See, why would we even ask that question if it wasn't inherently placed within our consciousness? And so we get the story wrong, but we know the story's bigger than us. What do you mean we get the story wrong? I don't feel we get the story wrong. We, well, we might get the story wrong. We, we could say there's we lots of gods. St- we're trying to figure out. Well, we could say. You yeah, know, but you I don't know, say that. I don't think. No, no. I'm saying, you know, like one culture goes, there are rain gods and there's a yeah, fire yeah, yeah, god. And, yeah. But, 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 but well, to me, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Not that there's actually that. They're, they're trying to, like, when rains would come, they're going, who is the, we're trying to talk to the guy who sends the rains. Okay, back to zero. Like, I think it's it's coming from innocence. Right. Let's and, say rain is three. Okay. Fire is seven. Existence is two. Okay. And we keep and we go and we see this, and then when you add to zero, the the code begins to work. Mm-hmm. And because we and but unfortunately we go oh it's a rain god, <laughs> right? You know rather than realizing oh no the whole universe is organically interconnected, and so even if if there was a god there would be one god because everything is in a subset. Right. Fire wasn't created over here disconnected to oxygen. It wasn't created disconnected to water. And so the reason they saw there are many gods is because they didn't understand the organic interconnection of the whole universe. Now we know that the entire universe is essentially one essence. So if there is a God, there's only one God. So then... But everything we see and touch and smell and feel are the numbers. Yeah. I'm still back to origin story. You keep trying to take it from origin story, but I'm just still there. I'm just going like, like every film has an intro. Why couldn't God just have been like, look, this is not going to understand all of it, but here's 15 seconds and it's going to play before every episode. See, and God says, the only intro you need is where I introduced you to life. And with that, I think that's all we have for today, for today, guys. Thank you for asking questions. And I, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I'm going to think a lot about this. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't, I think these are the fun things. I think once yeah. you believe, see, I don't really believe in, I think, like, because if you, if people who hold the argument of, of simulation, like if, if you call yourself an atheist, but you say, yeah, like, this is all a simulation, I go, so then you weren't actually downloaded with the proper code to understand your, 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 your coder. Yeah. Right? Like, even, like, the idea of a creator, whether you call him God or not, mm-hmm. is an easier thing to understand or believe in, I think, before you get to God, right? God mm-hmm. says, God has the attributes of, of the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-present, right? Yeah. And the beginner of all things. But you have to have come from something. We know enough about things and life and the way humanity works to know that I came from you and mom, right? Mm-hmm. And that you came from people before you. So to not think that we all have an origin story, do you think this abandonment of God or belief is in and of itself a revelation that there is a God? That you're believing in nothing and God goes, yeah, you are believing in nothing, but that my nothing is placed in the wrong space inside of your brain, heart, and mind, or your brain and heart. Yeah, see, I think it's why- Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think is exactly why there are atheists and there are people of deep faith is because they're looking at the zero- from two, two different, different ways. And one looks at the zero and sees nothing, and the other looks at the zero and sees, sees infinity. Everything. Sees everything. Yeah. Wow. 
I think I just assisted in the greatest quote ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, with that said, I think we're ready to wrap this episode up. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you got through this episode, we are so grateful for you. <laughs> this one was a bit of a brain melter, I think. Um, I'm really intrigued. I'm really inspired. I feel really good this week, and I hope you do too. And check out more episodes. Um, my, my dad last is, thought. What's your last thought? Is what if we're the simulation, but you see God's not the coder. God's the code that never got coded. Interesting. See, we want a coder. What about if God is the code? He's the essence of all life. Interesting. He is the DNA in which we were constructed of. Wow. Okay. I need to go walk. Take a walk. Uh, check out more podcasts. Also, rate and review this podcast. You can, you, can, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and you can watch it on YouTube. We're grateful for everybody who tunes in each week. Um, I was given a compliment this last week. They said, you're nothing like... Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast. Which is awesome. Well, they were saying it as a compliment. Like, and not in a bad way. They weren't dissing. They were like, I love his podcast because I get 10 things. And they're like, with you guys, I get this. <laughs> and they went like that. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. I really appreciated it. But thank you for hanging in there, spending time with us, letting us just go through life and talk through life. You were listening to the Bad Ready podcast. And um, also, I want to start giving love. This is uh, produced and edited and produced by... Uh, Austin St. John and Brooke Odom Figueroa and we are grateful they're in the booth with assistance quite often from Tess Hayhurst Roy and sometimes we have guests I'm really grateful love you guys say hi to everybody have a great week hi have a great week alright bye